Greetings all and welcome to another edition of Conversation with Carlton. Today I am with our esteemed guest, Elizabeth Dahlia Racine, the District Attorney for Douglas County. What's hey, up, Dahlia? Hey, Carlton. How are you doing, doing, Carlton? Well, how are you? I'm doing well. It's so good to see your face. Likewise. So at the time of this recording, we are a few days before Christmas, so Merry yeah. Christmas, Happy New Year to, to you and the family. Same to you, same to you and yours. So full disclosure to the audience, you and I have known each other for a very long time. I've been to your mama house, your grandma house, was at your wedding, yeah. was at your graduation of becoming an attorney. We both are Gator, yeah. we have shared life experiences. So with that yes, in mind, have. I know all about you, but share with our audience what your life's craft is. And that's such a heavy question to start with, Carlton, but I'm here for it. Rise to the challenge. You forgot one important critical fact that you also were responsible for introducing me to my husband. You so. know, the ebb and flow of y'all dynamics. Sometimes <laughs> I want credit, sometimes I don't. But true enough, we did that. That's fair. <laughs> that is fair. No, you know, it's been an interesting journey. You know, we... We are marking kind of, I guess, our halfway spot, which is crazy to say, but, you know, I guess we're solidly in midlife for many purposes. And so when we talk about why are we here, what is our work, I really feel that the culmination of my life experiences have brought me to do the professional work that I'm doing. And it's, you know, albeit a political position, but I think it is one that has to come from a place of passion to do the work that you're supposed to. And it may sound cliche, but honestly, I feel like this is my life's purpose in the work that I do. I feel like it's a culmination of everything I've been through, everything I've strived for. All those different things have brought me to this point of serving as district attorney. And just because I know everybody's got different terms from wherever they're at. A district attorney is responsible here in the state of Georgia, which is where I serve in Douglas County. We are responsible for handling all the felonies that occur within our jurisdiction. And a felony is basically anything punishable by a year all the way up to life or death in prison. Here in Georgia, we do still have the death penalty. And so it's a wide gamut of stuff. We got everything from drug possession and burglaries to sex crimes, crimes against children and murder. Like you name it, we got it coming through our office. And so, yeah, I think when we talk about our life's mission, it, it's, it's about service. It's about leaving this place better than how I found it, not for me, but for the generations to come. It's about planting seeds to trees that I may never sit under the shade of. It's about a lot of things that I think are bigger than me and just allowing myself to be used for those purposes. Appreciate you sharing that. Cause I, if I'm being mm -hmm. honest, I would never tell you this uh, privately, but you know, I tried my best to be honest on the show. And so your, yeah. your journey has definitely been an inspiration for mine because as you, shared you you're in your purpose and for me being a coach now being a podcaster now being able to create content and and you know just try to uplift the folks is, yeah. is, is me being in my purpose and you know watching you do your thing from you know university of florida to law school graduation to district attorney and the journey that yeah. that was I and mean, still is really has definitely been an inspiration for me so yeah, I appreciate that. 
You're welcome. Like I said, I'm glad I, it's recorded. Yeah, right, 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 right. I won't lie to my audience. I tell you anything, but I won't lie to the audience. All right. So that being said, on the show, we cover a lot of headline news. And and for you, as you stated, you deal with felonies. So you mm -hmm. see it. You see the outcomes of misbehavior. You see the dynamics that cause a person to become an offender, nature, nurture, all that stuff. So, you know, Georgia, Stacey Abrams, Herschel Walker, you know, there's so much that we could get into. But what yeah. I really would like for you to share with the audience and us have some conversation around it is what's wrong with us? So in the criminal mm -hmm. system, dealing with all the felonies, there's a there's a vitriol, there's a venom that flows yeah. through our society. You know, historians will say it's always been there, but there's something different, you know, for you and I to be mid-range, right? Mid, I don't even like saying it, but I say mid-range. <laughs> yes. We've had a previous experience that's evolved to what we have now. So mm -hmm. all that being said, what, what is society's plight from your vantage point? Yeah, great question. And I think it, it actually far supersedes just the criminal justice system. Because I think once you entered the criminal justice system, either through victimization or through perpetration, like you are well on your way to what I think is the underlying issue, simple, untreated trauma. I think okay. that pretty much the vast majority of what we see in our criminal justice system, what we see in the ills of our society, what we see in the issues that we confront is untreated trauma. I mean, one of my biggest focuses of trying to launch data within my office, because I don't, I feel like you can't fix what you can't measure. And so we're constantly trying to find ways to, to innovate and figure out what is happening in our community and to unsilo the system in the sense that I have a role to serve, right? And I need to stay in my lane, but the information I have, the work that I do can connect to so many other systems naturally, organically, because we feed constantly into each other. We're constantly weaving in and, in and out of each other's systems. For example, you know, you know very well, but for those that don't, my husband is involved in education and our system, the criminal justice system is so deeply and intimately connected with the education system that often people don't see that correlation. And so going back to my underlying issue of untreated trauma, right? So if we have kids that are in school, they start having trauma at home and that maybe leads to truancy. They're not showing up to school anymore. That activates the juvenile system, which we're also over within our office. It's not just felonies. It's also the juvenile court system that my office is responsible for. Which a big issue for me is interrupting the school to prison pipeline. So now we got these kids and these families that may be broken because of various reasons that the kids are not getting to school, that the systems and the support aren't there. And then that capitulates. And I could tell you, unfortunately, what I get to see is this really disturbing report card of kids that come into our system, they'll start at truancy, then they'll have like status offenses, which is things that only a kid could be charged with. So maybe it's running away. Maybe it's, you know, these other things because of what's going on at home. So now they're in the system, maybe they're incarcerated, maybe they're giving support, whatever it may be, but the dynamics at home still exist. And so that support may not be there. And it is this predictable matriculation that we see of these kids involved in the juvenile system coming into the adult system and constantly being interwoven within that education system. And so one thing was 
look, I can't be in a classroom. Y'all can't be in a courtroom. But what if we talked? What if we had discussions on what's the best way for us to kind of hedge when we see these warnings, when we see these red flags, when we see these issues? You know, we unfortunately suffer with a lot of issues of violence in our school early on in the school year. We had a kid who was murdered, who was a classmate of my kids. I've had kids that were arrested for murder who are in our school system. And it's not because these are bad kids. That's the other issue. We got to fight labels, right? And so when we're talking about what people have been through, it shapes those journeys. It shapes their projection. It shapes their life, shapes their likelihood of success. And so the simple answer is untreated trauma. Really, honestly. No, and that, I think as simple as it is, it's also very powerful. As you know, I am a you know professional life coach. I work with mm-hmm. primarily professionals, but every mm-hmm. client, me, you, we all have traumas yeah. that occurred early in our lives. And so to to know that the answer, the reason being so simple, what mm-hmm. makes treatment resolution intervention so difficult? Mm. Well, number one answer is resources. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we I'll speak to Georgia and I think that this is a chronic issue nationally. We've in essence defunded mental health treatment. We've deprioritized mental health treatment. There's a shift coming. I'll say that I think that people are, are really catching on to how important mental health is into therapy and to having those wraparound services of healing families, how important that is to not only getting people and keeping people out of my system and the criminal justice system, but keeping kids in school, creating, you know, these healthy family, healthy dynamics that, that needs to be in place. And so when people are able to create a wall that says, well, this doesn't really impact me. So what's it, what's it matter as far as the funding, those decision makers, I think that what we are starting to do is tear down that wall brick by brick, because it's beyond what's happening in these households. It is now impacting our community's economic stability. If people are able to show up to work, if they're employable, if there are all these things that can happen because now they are healed, they're able to be productive workforce. They're able to be a consistent, sustainable workforce. And so making those connections, having those discussions, allowing people to understand the economic viability of getting people who are on probation into back into our economic system because they've paid their obligation to society. So therefore we need to stop shunning people who are coming out of the criminal justice system because they need to be a piece of that. And that's traumatic within itself, right? Like, obviously there are people who belong and need to go to jail and prison. I have unfortunately seen some of the most horrific crimes that have occurred, but the vast majority of individuals who go into our custody or into our custodial systems, they're coming back out. And what do we do as a society to absorb them back in, to have the protection, the healing, the support for our community and broadly, you know, most people aren't going in for a long time. They're going in for a little while, but their family's also been disconnected during that time. The resources have been depleted during that time. Who knows what they've gone through in the custodial system when they're incarcerated. So it's all these dynamics that wrap up and wrap into what that looks like. And I don't know if you've you ever heard of ACE scores. Is that something that you're familiar with the terminology? So educate us. Yeah. So ACE scores, adverse childhood experiences. And it's, it's something that I have been working really hard to try to figure out what we have going on in our community in Douglas County, Georgia. But 
It started several decades ago when Kaiser, the healthcare company, partnered with a California university and it was healthcare driven where they would talk to patients that were coming in and they would ask them this kind of basic but very revealing questionnaire about things they had been through growing up. So things like, did you have you know, witness domestic violence? Did you suffer from abuse as a child? Did you have a parent who was in custody? Did you ever suffer from homelessness? So kind of really traumatic experiences somebody would experience as a child. And what they saw was the correlation between the higher the ACE score, so the more of those things you said yes to, the higher those ACE scores, that the more likelihood that you would have chronic health issues. Because those childhood traumas not only are indicative of things like, okay, well, maybe you can have socioeconomic indicators that are saying, you know, you have, you know, below the poverty line or, or issues that may impact you in that way, but it's the emotional and the traumatic toll that also took place on those individuals that manifest physically. Like it's a physiological response to the trauma that you have incurred. And they've expanded this because it's so informative to like looking at the criminal justice system and seeing that the higher your ACE scores, not only the higher your likelihood of perpetration of being charged with a crime, but victimization, being the victim of a crime if you haven't already. And, you know, this was really fascinating to me because, you know, we talk about our own personal experiences and I'm very transparent with my personal experiences because in what has shaped my work when we're talking about our, you know, our personal mission and what drives us and what gets us there. So for me, when we talk about that piece individually for my ACE scores, for lack of, of the better term, which kind of goes beyond my childhood, but being a survivor of childhood sexual abuse, being a sister to a drug addict who eventually did succumb to his addiction and died of his addiction, being, and this is also beyond that childhood experience, but being a parent to and raising Black children within a system that I'm terrified of, right? These are all things that are traumatic experiences that shape the work I do. So my own childhood sexual abuse, that shapes my advocacy, making sure we show up for victims in the system, make sure that they have a voice. My experience with a brother who was a drug addict helps shape the fact that I think we have to try to cure addiction, which often has nothing to do with the drug of choice, but often has to do with the trauma that has led to the drug of choice. And so constantly finding innovative ways as a criminal justice system that we could get with individuals and connect them with the resources and having drug courts that are driven by our judges and other work that we're doing. And also partnering with agencies, again, de-siloing our system, partnering with agencies that are doing really great work to make people employable, to give them a shot, to give them an opportunity to break this systemic cycle of poverty that often people are in. And then the whole issue of the trauma of raising black boys and girls that you want to make sure you have a system that is fair, a system that is equitable, a system that is cognizant of the trauma it has caused on communities of color and to try to repair those relationships and to ensure that moving forward, you are fair and you are just in the work that you're doing. And so when I know how impactful that is for me and my own personal work, it's very easy to make that leap on how impactful ACEs and what people have gone through, like what we started with, right? how impactful people's journeys are in their trajectory of where they end up. So it's it's something that, you know, I take seriously and it's something that drives me and it's something that keeps me up at night and it's something that, you know, really 
keeps me dialed into this work and constantly trying to be innovative and trying to find those solutions because these, none of these are easy answers or easy fixes, but it's too important not to do it. You know, I appreciate you sharing that because often we talk about the childhood trauma, but it's yeah. also a recognition that trauma, traumatic experiences come and go. They happen in our youth, they happen in our teens, they happen as adults. Because okay. to to your point, I'm also raising a black boy and, you know, the, the world for him scares the sugar, honey, iced tea out of me, whether it's school. You know, I I one time I damn near had a panic attack with him just going to the mailbox because, yeah. you know, we occasionally, you know, get aggressive drivers. And I mean, aggressive in terms of the flags that they have attached to their vehicles. And you just mm -hmm. never know you know they, they, he he could be the target for the day let's scare somebody let's let's put some yeah. fear into him been blessed thus far but as you know the journey's not done so right. you know the name of the show is unsolicited genius and and with that i would ask you for those that haven't entered the criminal system whether self mm -hmm. or parent who doesn't have a child that you know hasn't entered the system they're doing relatively well in school and in yeah. life but as i'm sure you've seen some things can flip in particular mm -hmm. related to traumas so what advice would you give quote-unquote regular people related mm -hmm. to the impact of trauma so that rather than wait for something to occur we can get yeah. in front of it. Yeah, being proactive, man. You know, I think the best thing that we can do, so from the parental aspect is we just got to talk to our kids, right? We we have this wealth of life experiences and, you know, I got three teens and so they don't ever want to hear what we got to say. But I will also say that I feel like it sticks, right? I feel like there are moments where if you just keep talking, like they'll be able to separate the wheat from the chaff and just in, understand what it is that you're trying to say. And obviously, you know, I was the team who thought I knew everything. And so, but reflecting back, I was like, dang, my mom was right when she said that. But, you know, I think we have to have those conversations. Like just the other day, I was having a conversation with my daughter about, you know, relationships and what healthy relationships look like. And I think also the biggest thing we could do is be transparent about our own histories about our own mistakes. I think that sometimes kids are, our kids are scared to talk to us because we exude this like thing of perfectionism. Like we've done it all right. We've got ourselves together and like, look at I where mean, we're I, at. I was kind of perfect, right? Okay, girl. All right. We won't, I won't be fully honest with your audience, but that's fine. Please don't. <laughs> that's what we're going to tell. I want them to come back. Please don't. <laughs> no, it's, it, and so I think it's just being like, humble and being transparent with them and being like, look, sometimes this is hard. Sometimes this is scary. Sometimes, you know, just because I'm a parent doesn't mean I always get it right. And knowing when sometimes, like, sometimes we got to say sorry. Sometimes we've got to understand, too, that it's our responsibility to break those generational curses. And just because this was how you were raised doesn't mean that you have to raise your child in that same way. Um, so it's all those things. But of course, none of that could be done unless we circle back to what we started with. We deal with our own untreated trauma and we deal with our own stuff and our own mess. And, you know, I can tell you, like, even though my kids will always say, like, it sucks that you are, I'm a career prosecutor. So I've always done this work and, and most of my career was focused on crimes against women and children. So just 
the amount of stuff that have been exposed to and seen. And I started talking human trafficking to them when they were like eight. And we were having conversations about sex and we're having conversations about all these things and, you know, body awareness and, and the right to say no. And I just remember mentally watching specifically my daughter, like at the ages that my traumas happen and becoming like this guardian to be like, it won't happen to her. It won't happen to her, you know? Right. And I think like as parents, we don't talk through that. We just react to it. And they're like, what is happening? So like, they're always like, you've raised us in a bubble and we don't ever get to do anything, which I know that, you know, you're well aware that these children have like such a blessed childhood, but I mean, I'll take it. But at the same time, there is that piece to my trauma of like having this surround wrap around, like, don't let what happened to me happen to them. So you gotta, you gotta, and if, because I'm honest with them, they know the fact that I was abused as a child. I talked to them about it. And so they understand it. They may not like some of the things that happen as a parent, as any child does not like some of the things that happen as a parent. But I think having that, that humility and transparency while still maintaining your role as parent, but understanding and opening those lines to communication, because I think that helps so much more further down the line when the real stuff hits, right? Because they think like, this is as hard as it's going to get for them at like 15 and 17. But when real life hits, that they know they can come to you to talk about it because you've been open and vulnerable with them. I think that really does help. Okay. All right. Well, folks, you heard it here. Deal with your stuff and then talk to your kids about yours and theirs. And on that, we'll take a break and be right back with Conversations with Carlton. conversations with Carlton. I'm with my guest, Elizabeth Dahlia Racine. So on the show, we talk a lot of sports. A segment specifically is what in the sports. As a wife, as a mom, you participate from the stands more often than not. I'm not sure if you got any hobbies. I don't know about you might get out there and shake some stuff. But what I really wanted to dive into was being a parent for active kids. Because, you know, my version of the story, as my son has gotten more into football, it's a lot of traveling. It's a lot of back and forth. He had seventh grade with practice at 6.45 a.m. in the morning and games on different parts of town and this, that, or the other. Right. And so I actually gave your cousin a call, your cousin, your husband a call, because you all have three active kids and you all do basketball and the AAU is a lot more busy than football typically. And I, you know, I asked him, you know, how do y'all do this? <laughs> so he gave me some good insight, but I turned it over to you as a working mom, a busy mom, a, a busy person, an influencer in your community. How do you create that balance between what you got to do and need to do for the mm -hmm. kids, but supporting their active lifestyle? What is, what is your balance? What is your inspiration? Yeah, great question, man. Like there is no life once season starts and now season's like all year long, it feels like. So the balance piece, I'm still working on. But right, that's what I would say. 
I will say that, you know, I've, I've heard this said before when people talk about work-life balance, that it's not a balance, it's a blend, right? Like you figure out what is needed at that moment and you address that piece, which sounds very reactionary, but you try to plan as much as you can, but at mm -hmm. the same time, you also have that expectancy of, okay, if the other shoe drops, we got to figure it out. But like you said, we got three kids currently all are in season playing high school basketball. Luckily, they're all at the same high school. So this is actually a relief for us because <laughs> somebody else drives them. Yeah, like this is for us. This is the highlight of the basketball year, which it does help us because we get to kind of ground. It's some more stability. It's more assistance once they get to high school ball. Because if any parent out there has been involved in AAU, and my understanding, because my kids have only played AAU basketball, but that this like kind of transcends all AAU sports. It's, it's very common. I got girlfriends whose kids play volleyball and others who play football and, you know, all the different sports, baseball, all of them that are out there. That is very similar as to just the, the chaos, the organized chaos that comes up. But, you know, first off, I think it, it starts with communication between the parents. All right. We know that this is about to enter the season. And it's communicating with our broader community to be like, y'all know we about to be in season, we about to be ghosts. So like, whatever it is, y'all know that we're gonna like, the power of no in, in understanding <laughs> okay. that space. Just right. being like, we can't do it all. We can't okay. do it all. And so sometimes we're gonna have to be like, we, we just can't be here for this. But Carlton, I will tell you, like there were times where our kids were in three different cities. And so you really do have to depend on your village. You have to depend on your, folks to be like hey like I am humbly coming before you because we need help <laughs> right now like my kids come into your city can you just go check them out make sure that they're okay they got what they need and so you know there's a lot of that but I gotta say you know it's it is amazing to watch your kids do what they love to do and so despite the exhaustion despite all the things that come along with it like you got no money you got <laughs> I don't see my husband for like, you know, four or five months. We just, we hug each other and be like, I'll see you, you know, in a, several weeks because we know we're not going to see each other because each weekend we're in a different place. Like all the things that come along with it, that satisfaction of seeing them enjoy what they're doing is amazing. But that also the flip side of that is like when they have their bad games, when they have those frustrations, when they have those devastations, which, you know, they're, 15, 17 year old brains perceive as devastating type stuff. It's, it's tough. Cause you got to be there and you got to build them up and you got to figure out what's going on in the outside influences. You know, if you got a coach that's trash or if you got, you know, team drama, whatever it may be, you, that becomes your issue too, because you're dealing with their emotional response to it. Um, but man, yeah, like there's nothing. And I'm that parent. I say it all the time. I am that parent from the stands, shouting, yelling at the refs, loud and wrong, like all the things I do it. But they make videos for parents like you. They do. They, I hear the warning every time where they say you get kicked <laughs> out. I step to the line and, you know, I apologize to the refs before the game. I'm like, look, I'm going to be that one. Don't take it out on the team. I apologize to them after. I just can't help it. But no, I love it. There's nothing for me better than being able to watch them play and do what they love. And despite no matter how like ah, draining and tiresome the times may be, because I know I'm like, lilacs and roses, it's great. No, it's draining. There are days where you were like, how the hell do we have another game today? 
<laughs> all those things. And all I'm doing is watching and I'm exhausted. Right. But the constant reminder is that this is finite, right? I got, we got friends that have yeah. kids who are older who look back and they're like, man, I miss those days. I miss sitting in the stands. I miss doing whatever, whatever, you know, I wish I had that to do now. And, you know, so I, I do, despite the times where it is exhausting and draining and all that, I do still try to find the joy in it. Cause I know it's so temporary, so short, you know, especially with one who's a junior, it's his senior year is coming up. Like it's almost mm. done. And that's, mm. I'm gonna be honest with you, Carlton It's devastating to me. Cause I feel like so much of my like identity and who I am is tied up in raising kids. And I'm like, granted, I'm gonna still be there for them when they're out the house, when they're older, but like this piece is almost done. And that's really, really hard to accept. Keith's fine with it. My husband's fine with it. He's ready. But I'm like, <laughs> I know you're going to be sad. Like, I know you're going to be sad. Bye, boy. <laughs> right. See you later. Let the door hit you. <laughs> But yeah. yeah, man, that is tough. So you do cherish those moments because you know it's not gonna be for much longer. All right. Well, so, I, yeah. I took some I took some notes. So audience, yeah. in case you didn't get it all. One, understand. So go back. We're talking about yeah. parenting the life of active kids. So one mm-hmm. is the power of no. Understand it, use it. You can't do it all. Leverage your village. Was it Hillary Clinton wrote the book, but it takes a village, use it, and then love their joy because it's finite. So mm-hmm. I think, as you've talked about, for me, the strange part was sitting in the stands. I mm-hmm. grew up playing football. I would be on the field. I would always locate my parents. My mom was somewhere in the stands. I would find her glasses, and my dad was always somewhere hanging on the fence yeah. so he could be close so I could hear him yell. And so sitting in the stands, watching my son, And like you said, we had some highs, we had some lows, and a lot of the lows came early in the season. So each game, it was build up. Each game, it was finding, you know, encouragement. Because like you said, I was sharing in the journey. But with all the off-season work, all of the training, all of the practices, getting up at Mm -hmm. 645, in the morning, well, getting up at 5-something in the morning, they'd be at practice at 645. He scored his first touchdown. And Mm. that the joy that I felt in the stands, getting high fives from the other parents, him celebrate on the field and, you know, us being able to share in that moment afterwards. Yeah. I think everything that you said, the, you can't do it all using your resources. Cause for me, as I've been traveling for work, I've missed mm-hmm. maybe two games and I was sick. I would be in my, I wish somebody could <laughs> FaceTime. I wish they had it on TV. I'm in my hotel uh-huh. room, just sad, sucking my thumb, feeling like the worst <laughs> parent ever. But, you know, he got there. He had people there to support him. But yeah. then I just never, you know, it's one of them things as a parent, you don't know what you're going to feel until you feel it. But, you know, watching him enjoy what he's doing is a tremendous blessing. So, I definitely feel fortunate, despite the 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 work that it is and and all the driving that you know we have to do when sitting in the stands. So, for sure, for yes. sure. All right. So, you feel like talking about your Gators, or should we just should we just? Carlton, like I try, I try so hard, and you know, living in Georgia, I don't know how it is oh. out where you are, oh. but living in Georgia, man, it's like compounded. Like, yeah, we suck. Like, right? Like, we know it. You ain't have to remind us. We know. Like, 
And they're relentless. And, you know, uh, unfortunately, Georgia's doing really, really well right now. Unfortunately. So, <laughs> very unfortunately. I get little nasty notes on my door. Like, you know. Yeah, I was. It is uh, what it is. When I was in Atlanta, it was the SEC championship in my, the host yeah. hotel for our venue. The hotel for our event, event was the host hotel for the team, Georgia right. team. So we had bulldogs on every level and every elevator. And I I did I had never felt so sick to not be sick. It was <laughs> and, and on the SEC, Georgia wasn't isn't my worst school. It's Tennessee, then LSU, yeah. then Georgia. So but I could only imagine if I was, yeah, right there. I could only imagine if it was like the Tennessee hotel. I probably would have checked out and yeah. just came to stay with y'all. But I can't <laughs> I couldn't imagine, imagine living in the state of Georgia, living in Atlanta with all them shenanigans going around. But let me tell you what's so crazy. There are times where I've had to go, I had to go to Athens for like trainings and and conferences and things Mm -hmm. like that. And I got a nice little gator plate on my car. I will back my car in. I I don't have time for y'all fools. I don't want to hear it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's crazy. This year wasn't great. No, it was not. The basketball Mm -hmm. team seems to be having some ebbs and flows. We may have to just focus more on the baseball team and volleyball. Something. Gymnastics. Yeah, the gators still shake stuff out there. But that football team Mm -hmm. just alleviating your feelings. It does. It does. Very disappointing, disheartened, but you know, builds resilience, right? Does it? Does it? It maybe that's maybe unfulfilled hope. Yet yeah, again. yeah. Life lessons, right? More trauma to uh, carry right. on to to teaching <laughs> and raising the kids. All right. On that, we'll take a break, and we'll be right back. Morning, good afternoon, good night. And it will be so sweet, America. It will be so sweet. And all that heartache that goes to our presence. You gotta see the monster to be able to destroy the monster. He took the military out before he took the civilians. Who does that? Under under his watch. His watch. Welcome back to Conversations with Carlton. I am with Elizabeth Dyer Racine. Are you entertained? So, Dahlia, what have you been watching? Well, it's more like what's been watching me. Because I feel like when I come home, I don't have any energy. But can I just tell you, I had a little guilty pleasure. I got caught up in watching the Wednesday series on Netflix. I just and I was like, ooh. <laughs> I just I started like, it. What's going to happen next? So, like, that's what I need. I need, like, mindless stuff. Mm. Um, so, you know, Keith and I, we ended up watching Love at First Sight. I'm a First off, understand I'm not going to say anything intelligent in this answering this question. It's all going to be mindless pleasure. That's fair. No judgment. So Judge yeah, and then we the watch, <laughs> watching a lot. I, I am having football watch me more than me watching football because that stays on at this, you know, in basketball, all the things. Yeah, but you know, we actually just watched a really interesting special, PBS special on kind of like the Trump era and, and all the way that things shook out from him coming into the party and the impact that had on the Republican Party and Mm -hmm. you know just kind of some of the decisions and costs of keeping him in the party to keep the Republican Party from fracturing and so that was pretty interesting that was one thing that we saw any any insight or insight into what the future might look like from this special 
Yeah, you know, super interesting. The short answer is no, because I think that's, I think the point is that it's this period of restructuring, right? Like it's it's redefining who the Republican Party is. I also think it's very interesting since we just had these midterm elections and a lot of the Trump approved candidates did not win. And so I think that it would have been interesting to kind of have an addendum to that special to be like, all right, well, now that it seems like some of his power and influence is dissipating, is there still that allegiance to this portion? And I think the answer is gonna to have to be yes, because it's such a, a strong portion of the party that's out there. Um, but I think that there is this struggle to define what does the Republican party stand for now at this point? So it'll be it'll be interesting because I don't know who holds the puppet strings at this point. <laughs> yeah, because you know, one way or the other, Trump's not going to be in a position of power forever. His age alone right. dictates that. Not wishing nothing on him, just saying that right. you know we all have a timeline. And right. so you know, I often find myself wondering where is the party going to go? Because there was the Reagan mm -hmm. the Reagan Bush Republican Party, yeah, and then there were the Republicans party that was anti-Obama. And then mm -hmm. when it came time for the Democrats to put in somebody new, the Republicans put up somebody new. We yeah. got Hillary, we got Trump, and here we are. So I wonder if there's a party that we're going to go back to, mm -hmm. or, you know, is this, you know, is this, is the future going to be a continued ebb and flow of what was kind of like the Tea Party to yeah. now be... Trump's party to then be something else. Yeah, I know. I think it is all interesting. I think also the other point that that's, and I think this goes for both parties is, you know, the party leadership across the board is like you said earlier, it's aging, right? And this transfer of power to younger generations has not gone, it seems very seamlessly. It's just kind of, it seems scattered. It seems haphazard. It seems just there's a lack of planning or of, you know, generational planning of like, this is what we want the party to look like. And, you know, when one group is in, in power to say, let's hear from the younger folks about what they want the direct trajectory and direction to be like, we don't have that solid transference of, of power, if you will, across either party, I feel. And so I think, you know, when we talk about redefining parties, I think it's not just the Republican party. I think the Democratic parties will have to go through it too. Yeah. You know, we obviously have a president who will be in his 80s, you know, if he chooses to, to run again. I don't know what's going to happen there. And, you know, I think it's anybody's guess as to if he doesn't run, who will? Who will be the headliner of the ticket? Not it's it. just a lot of uncertainty. Yeah, same. <laughs> <laughs> but, and it's also like, where's the engagement? Are we out there? Are we getting the younger generation engaged? Like, it was crazy. So my oldest was like, man, you know, by the time the next presidential election comes around, I'm going to be old enough to vote and I'm going to be in college. I won't be here. I was like, what I'm going to need you to do is to fly back because I need you to come home and vote for your mother. But, <laughs> you know, it's, it's that whole piece of right. like the fact that he's talking about it is good. Mm -hmm. But how many of his peers are like mm -hmm. how important are we making voting and prioritizing issues like what's our platform what is it that we're going to stand for and I don't know that anybody has a succinct answer to that right now and I don't know that we should like everybody's issues are different everybody's needs are different they, so. they continue to evolve that's for sure yeah all right absolutely so that's what you're watching what have you been listening to 
Mm. You know, nothing really new. Just, you know, having a hard time trying to find stuff. I, I am hearing what my children are listening to and I'm Logo. consistently asking them to turn it down. <laughs> <laughs> Can we change that? But, you know, it's probably the cliche answer. But, you know, I, I will typically go back to when I'm getting ready for the day. I know that I'm having a day or I got a week ahead. You know, I'm going to roll into some Lizzo. I'm going to roll in to, I got it. I have to be honest. I am a solid Beyonce fan, like through and through. Like, do not talk about my Beyonce. I don't know Her that last... I knew that. I didn't know that yeah. you were part of the beehive. I don't mess with the yeah. beehive. I keep it Man. to myself. But I didn't My know chick has, part of the beehive. She has got me through some stuff in life. And so I am a loyal fan, a loyal mm. fan. But what I will also say is that when I, the first time, true confession, first time I heard the latest album, Renaissance, I was like, oh, what have we done here? But I kept listening to it. And I have read articles that said there is something about something within the beat and the melody of that album that makes it addictive. And now... I am fully bought in and I can just run it. And I'm like, yeah, like every song is like a banger to me now. It took time, but I'm here. I have arrived and I am now still saying she's continuing to produce the hits. You know, I'm not Beehive, but I, I respect mm -hmm. this space. I'm I'm waiting for Cardi B to drop her album. I love me some yeah. Cardi B. Uh, yeah. Okay. All right. And I listened to a little, you know, I gave Meg's album a chance because, you know, we all got to have our ratchet turn up every now and again. So, yeah, you know, yeah. they, play her, they play her a lot at my gym. So to yeah. have, you know, I've listened to the album once or twice, you know, she gets some mm -hmm. play and she, she was in a rotation briefly, but they play a lot at the gym. So I, I get my feel of. I see that. Yeah. Since she's Texas artist and all that. Yeah. Keep, 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 it. keep it going. Keep the, keep the yeah, energy up. Sure. For sure. All but right. I love a strong woman album. That's, you know, All right. I got to be, that. I got to stay encouraged. Okay. I respect <laughs> that. All right. So what you've been reading? Yeah. Other than case law, which is not funny. Anything you'd like um, to share? Y'all would be like, absolutely. No, I think, so this is what's crazy. I mean, welcome to the 20th century. I finally got my e-library book. So I've started to get e-books. But man, Carlton, I started stressing myself out because they give you two weeks. And I'm like, I cannot finish a book in two weeks. Like, this mm. is not that. So I started getting anxiety about renting my ebooks from the library. But I did get two thirds of the way through one called Black Cake, which was really good. And then I Black put it back cake. in my queue. Black Cake. Okay. It was kind of this multi generational storytelling about, you know, this couple from the Caribbean and then their kids and then you know, the mother has passed away. And so now they're kind of going through the reading of the will. And through that, they're finding out more of her history and things along those lines. So that one was pretty good, but I don't know how it ended because my time ran out. So I'm a little <laughs> sad. It came back up in my queue. I wasn't able to get to it. Mm. So there was that, but I will say there was another book that I was able to read. That was a quick read. I can't remember the title, but there's not very many that are similar to this, but like how to give zero Fs about, you know, whatever's going on. And so I thought it was a good one going into my leadership role because it's not necessarily about having apathy about everything. It's about living in boldness and, and not operating in a spirit of scarcity and, and go big and, you know, all those different types of things. So I think that helps, especially when you are trying to generate systemic change and you're, you know, told to sit down and step back and dissent your role and, you know, all the things you may hear or just you know, consistently facing the nose and keep moving forward. Like, don't let that stop you. And so, yeah, I thought that was a pretty good one. 
Okay. All right. Well, we got we got a couple options. We got a novel. We got some nonfiction. None of which. Well, you finished the you finished the zero give zero f's. Uh huh. At least you didn't give the spoiler, right? You you still right. you know they got a chance to check it out. You didn't you didn't spoil it for anybody. So thank you for yeah, sharing yeah. that. Well, all right, Dahlia, this has been a good show. I, I thank you for mm -hmm. coming on and, and gracing us with your brilliance and your presence oh. to the audience. This has been another episode of Conversations with Carlton. You can check us on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast, Apple. Spotify, Anchor, all the places. And so again, thank you to my guest, Elizabeth Dahlia Racine, and we'll catch you next time with either Unsolicited Genius Live every Monday, 8.30 Eastern, 7.30 Central. What is that? 5.30 Pacific. And continue to tune in. We got more episodes of Conversations with Carlton coming, and Thoughts of Genius is in all the same places and spaces. So between now and then, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you for having me. Go follow my boy.